What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a real rarity, something that does not come up very often, not one, but two guests... Phil Matarizia and Mike Luciano are on the show today. They are the creators of HBO's Animals. Now, if you are unfamiliar with this show, it is hilarious, and there's lots of cool music stuff in it. More on that in a second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with the podcast, you can send an email to my dear brother and show producer, let's realistically say who's going to be answering those emails. Uh, he is available at turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page at turnoutapunk slash Facebook. No, 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 turn out, no Facebook slash turnoutapunk. No, facebook.com slash turnoutapunk. I apologize. You can also find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. Uh, there's also a uh, Tumblr page. There's also a Instagram page for Turn Out a Punk at Turn Out a Punk. Uh, there's there's lots there's lots and lots of stuff that you can get in touch with us through over here at the podcast. Um, speaking of uh, this podcast, if you would like to support it, the best way of doing that is by just telling all your friends about it. And then if you listen to it on a specific platform that allows you to rate and review it, please do that. And subscribe to it or follow it or do whatever needs to be done so you're kept abreast. Because, like, you know, let's be honest, these episodes don't always come out when they should. Sometimes they drop a little bit later, you know, it gets a little hectic. But that that's just the way the cookie crumbles these days. I've got, 
I got jobs, you know, you got jobs, you know, we all got jobs, we're all depending on each other to uh, be a little understanding sometimes, you know. This one, you know, fell on a weekend, a holiday weekend, you know, a holiday I think we can all get behind, Labor Day. So thank you for understanding that this one was, uh, you know, a little bit late, but that is fine. You know, that's fine. That's why we do this thing. Speaking of being understanding, thank you to the loving, kind, understanding folks at Vans. Vans came aboard this podcast a while back and have just supported the crap out of it. Just uh, allowed me to book whoever wanted to book. Uh, paid me a little bit so I can not do this out of my own pocket anymore, which has been great. And, uh, yeah, you can uh, thank them for allowing me to book whoever I want. You know, they don't they don't get angry when I, when I book a guest that's a little out there. You know, like I've got... I got a wide range of guests, so that's great. They're understanding about that. So thank you so much to the fine folks at Vans. They closed up the summer. It looked like a crazy last party there at the House of Vans in Brooklyn, New York. Legendary venue, legendary run. The bands that have played there, you know, the bands that I saw there, the bands I played with there, you know, it's. it's, I'm going to miss that place. Really, one of my favorite venues. You know, it was. It was always a fun time, even when the. Water was shooting out of the shower, you know. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a wild time there too. Sometimes, uh, thank you once again to Vans for the support of this show. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, Phil and Mike, creators of the show Animals on HBO. If you have not seen this show, it is hilarious. It is star-studded, and that is like. I think by any definition of what a star is, like that can be real legitimate fame, TV, Hollywood movie stars, or it can be people that are stars to us, listeners of Turned Out a Punk, you know, like people like uh, Jay Maskus, Bill Callahan, Iggy Pop, you know, they have had a, a, a huge list of luminaries on that show, famous people. If I was going to go through the list of people that have been on this show and done voices and lended kind of, you know, their talents to this thing, we would be here all podcast. But these, you know, people have been brought together by these two very funny people and kind of, you know, pop culture aficionados, Mike and Phil. Now, Mike and Phil have a interesting story themselves where they kind of made this thing Believing it in themselves, you know, like this was really a DIY effort that has done good. You know, they're on their third season on HBO right now, and you will hear it here at the end of the show. And there's a surprise musical tie-in that that relates directly to this podcast, um, but you'll hear that. It was a surprise to me too, you know, it was a surprise to all of us. Um, that's at the end of the show. So uh, I'm not going to blather on anymore. Other than uh, one note, I think we make reference to the fact that Shea Stadium is owned by Titus Andronicus. I believe Phil says that. And I think it's actually owned by members of the So-So Glows. And hopefully we'll be getting someone from that band on the podcast soon enough. So we'll be able to confirm that. But I'm 90% sure that's what's going on there. I think Titus Andronicus, you know, played there a lot. And, you know, it was certainly a a bit of a, a like a home base kind of venue for them for a while. Um, but anyway, that is it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Phil and Mike, creators of HBO's Animals on Turned Out a Punk. Mike, Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Dude, thank you so much for having us, man. This is uh, this is really sick. We're stoked. Thanks, Damien. Well, I tell you, well, for now I'll, I'll set up your voices, Phil and Mike. It's a, a real honor to kind of get you guys on the show because I'm I'm a huge fan of your TV show, um, but I think the story of how you made the show is kind of like the embodiment of this show because uh, you know that's that's what this show is all about is like taking ethos of punk rock and just seeing where it goes and that's you know from the sounds of it kind of your your kind of applique for your show for sure dude and i think you know i mean we'll get into it all but mike and i were we both were like in bands all in high school so that you know what what does that teach you it teaches you a little bit of team management but also when you make a demo or something like that that fun sort of feeling of like oh, we don't have to fucking ask anybody and we could just make a thing. And sure, our CD cases are just little pieces of paper we stapled, but, you know, it goes into the system and it makes the same damn music as other people. So for us to uh, do, it was was the same ethos, I guess. And early on, it was just our shorts that we made on totally on our own with like torrented programs and shit. Um, so it was like really just grasping at what we could get our hands on and, and make this little thing. I think also just add to that, just the idea of taking something creative seriously, you know, and, and and working over time to, to, to play, play somewhat of a long game and, and, uh, you know, not just being, uh, uh, a quick flash of creativity and then sort of, all right, well, that was that, you know, really trying to see something through, I think is something Phil and I, um, you know, really try to, um, latch onto. Well, before we get to the success, I want to go all the way back to those stapled CD cases. Uh, Phil and Mike, how'd you get into punk? I guess Phil first, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I do. I remember my cousin had the Green Day album, which, uh, listen, guys, we're just going to get it out there. We're kid, we're, we're pretty young, Mike and I. It's not going to be any of the cool punk stuff, right? It starts at Green Day, and it gets worse. Let's lower the bar right now. Let's all come down a bit. No, I think, I don't worry. Green Day played a huge part in my development. It plays a huge part in a lot of guest development. Don't worry. We're not, not all of us are going to be, you know, the, uh, the Jack Black, whose brother was doing the whip sound on whip it (laughs) holy shit that's amazing uh uh so for me uh, i remember my cousin already had uh kerplunk and he let me listen to it the first the the first one where she's got like the squirt gun yeah yeah, that's kerplunk yeah and and i he told i was listening to it and he took it back and i loved it it was like great (laughs) and it felt like it was four kids in a weird way and I, I remember him, he wanted to keep listening to it. And he said, if you can read the name of the album. And I was so young that I couldn't read at the time. <laughs> and I was like, all right, here we go. Uh, Squirt Gun Girl. Uh, <laughs> uh, flower Girl. Thing. And he never let me listen to it again. So then after that, I bought the first um, thing I ever bought was Dookie on cassette, actually. And, you know, that already is like, the, the cover of it, you just get lost in and it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And it was just like an immediate fun kind of music. And, you know, I was in middle school when Blink-182 was the big pop of things. So all that sort of 
stuff. And then, you know, of that era, I'm trying to think like Vagrant Records and, you know, I'm from New Jersey and Mike's from New York. So just that whole kind of scene of, you know, Mike's Long Island scene bled into the New Jersey scene. So going to, for me, it was like, Trying to think, saves the day for sure was huge to me, which yep. is like that's more emo, but that early stuff was super fun and punky. Well, that stuff um, was blowing up at the time too. Like you mentioned, Long Island and and uh, New Jersey, like both of those scenes are kind of were producing bands that were, you know, getting that mainstream airplay, getting kind of like that awareness out there. Yeah, it was a fun time. It was a really vibrant time, and I remember um, uh, just like going to. That's what we would do. It was like shows, you know, yeah. even though we were like way too young to do it, but like Club Chrome in New Jersey, which was gnarly and Birch Hill. And then, of course, when I got older and started to be in bands like freshman year, high school, all that sort of stuff was I, I, I feel like I locked uh, I lucked out where I kind of went to a rock and roll high school a little <laughs> bit where it was like the bands were kind of that was like the social echelon. And we would like. You know, the big VFW shows and the shows at Black Bear Camp and all that sort of stuff was like kind of the Friday night. Our football team literally won zero games. I remember my <laughs> senior year. And it was uh, just the, that sort of scene of like being really music focused. And I mean, God, back then, that's, that's so much scene checking of like. Your 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 trapper keeper of CDs. Like if that shit wasn't fat, man, you, you get the fuck out of here. You're not a you're not driving us around and being DJ. Um, so it was just a yeah big part of my life. I I don't know if I named enough bands, but I feel like I've. Uh, oh, don't worry. This is just the beginning. Yeah. We're gonna go back in. But uh, right, Mike, cool. Mike, how about yourself? Uh, How'd you? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I th- a similar similar kind of way in, and and the thing I think about when I think of like. Oh really getting into punk all the way back and, and what were the the ways in. Um, you know, I, I think of, like, compilation CDs oh, back in the day. Kung Fu Records. Kung Fu Records. Mm-hmm. Like, they had this one that was, like, I burned it to the ground. Yeah, for sure. That that was, like, such a such a way in that, you know, obviously, I, I don't think that's as prominent anymore. Maybe it is. I guess playlist, but, Spotify playlist. Yeah, yeah. I still think it's different, right? Like those CDs, like you, you know, like they were just the compilations were the most affordable thing. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. sure. And and just like a crash course in all the bands. You yeah, know? absolutely. Just like just just the simple thing of like hearing a band, you know, being open. I, I feel like back then my my ears were so open, and it was such a sponge to kind of like okay, hear 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 a band and really go. All right, is this for me? What do I like about this? What do I not like about it? And really go okay, like kind of make a checklist of what bands I wanted to pursue and grab their albums. And it was such a a hunger for it that you know I still have now. But I feel like back then you're you're so eager to to connect with music and um, and I think from that too. Yeah, Tony Hawk Pro Skater was like the idea of just sort of a bunch of music for you that's yeah. kind of curated and going mm-hmm. like, hey, I really fucking like Goldfinger. What is yeah. that song? Like whatever. Like and um and, and the other thing I'll say too is Phil mentioned Saves the Day, but I have a good buddy who who uh who I've grown up with whose whose older brother was in Saves the Day, and that was like a way into all those bands too. It, it growing up, it was kind of like 
this foreign idea like what oh what is that band that gave brothers in and then eventually you know getting to the age of listening to it and going oh it's my favorite band and 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 they opened up for blink 182 and and green day and like you know so it all sort of like connected and and uh yeah it's growing up it's funny to think back on and and hearing phil's story is always funny because it's 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 so similar to mine we had a very similar uh high school and, and uh, you know, middle school experience, I think. Phil, when you mentioned your cousin having that Kerplunk CD, that would have been like pre-Dookie, right? Or would it have been after Dookie? Man, well, I couldn't I couldn't read. So I'm guessing it was very <laughs> early 90s. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. was your cousin like into punk rock as like sort of a general thing? Like that's kind of pre-Green Day being on the mainstream radar. Yeah, he, he was. He was the fucking coolest. Artie and Joey, both of the The reason why I played guitar and drums when I was a kid was the both of them. Just like, yeah, it was very, very cool kind of 90s punk dudes that uh, I uh, wanted to emulate as much as possible. And I ended up doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's and like, you know, it's like Mike, you were saying also another thing that's emblematic of, I guess, the later 90s is certainly that that Tony Hawk influence. Like, you know, Steve Soto just passed away from the adolescence, but they got a huge bump, I'm sure, from Amoeba being on the soundtrack to those oh, games. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing, and I, I feel like that's uh, you know something that more and more in in modern times is sort of becoming a, an accepted mode, I guess, of of discovering things by just the way uh, you know the the world works these days, and and uh, I, I feel like it's um, you know some something we do on our our show is really try to throw in as much music that we're listening to that are you know maybe smaller bands that. Uh, don't quite have a huge platform um, and, you know, get to introduce people to, to stuff. And I think, I feel like now there's maybe more of, of that uh, that's acceptable, whereas maybe uh, years and years ago, the idea of, you know, <laughs> a punk band being being on some any kind of commercial enterprise was, was, you know, immediately kind of written off. Yeah. Well, I think even like, you know, not to besmirch, you know, the, the broadcaster or anything, but like, you know, vinyl, it's representation of punk rock, I think is a little less realistic than the representation of punk rock that you see on animals. I saw one scene of vinyl and it was these two punk guys and the guy is like, well, this guitar is sick. And he runs out of the store and he steals the guitar with another guy and they're in the alley and they're breathing and they're going, do you want to start a band? And I was like, that's the lamest thing I've ever seen. Oh, made me cringe. I was cringing for days. Uh, Well, actually, I guess going back to before, I guess maybe even before you guys started a band, what was the first show each of you guys went to? Like not even punk rock necessarily, just like concert, I guess. Oh, goodness. It's, um, God, it kind of all mel- melds together. I w- oh, you know what? My I I went to see a band, a local band called Creatures of Habit. That might have been one of my first shows. It was a friend's older brother's band, and it was at the high school I was eventually going to go to. But it was like five years before I would end up going there. Um, and I think it was like still a little bit more of like a a punk atmosphere at that point yeah so it's like high school's full of punks it's gonna be sick <laughs> and uh 
a little bit but I think that was it and then probably around there was the Blink-182 stadium show or something like that um, what was the, the Blink-182 tour that tour might have been I know I saw Mest in the parking lot Mest is not a great band <laughs> but uh, an infamous I band though definitely a lot of stories about that band out there oh yeah yeah, yeah they were they seemed crazy back then even yeah um, but then uh that could have been, I think, Saves the Day open. So I'm not sure who else would have been on that. Was it Newfound Glory? It could have been Newfound Glory. I feel like I saw an early one and it was Newfound Glory opening for them. I remember seeing a dude in the audience going to town on At Your Funeral by, <laughs> by Saves the Day. And it's so funny because like, it was like probably 6 p.m., daylight's out. And not half full, probably quarter full. The song will be called. Just a guy loving it. I love that dude. Uh, it's it's a it's kind of amazing though. Like Blink One Eighty Two for all the kind of slack they get, like they definitely made a point of always bringing out kind of like younger bands that you know fit what they were doing, but like you know we're kind of doing it on a on a on a much you know younger stage i guess in their career and like you know they had bad religion even though so they would have older people yeah. do it too yeah I remember, I, that's i remember blink 22 is how i learned about fugazi like you know yeah. like they, Whoa, cool. they definitely like introduced how just by talking about it you know oh, they by, talked yeah, about, they it. Talked oh, about cool. it you know and so so at the very least they were influenced by the right things yeah you know, and could yeah. sort of steer their their uh their audience in, in the right direction for sure. And it's funny because there's this guy, oh, who produced like, I think he produced like their first, he might have even done Cheshire Cat, but he did definitely oh, did like cool. all the stuff up until that point. Yeah. Um, but he also like was hanging out with Rocket from the Crypt and like, you know, so it, there's, right. there's all this connection that always, you know, it all comes back to basement shows and, and you know, DIY released demos. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Mike? What's your first concert? First concert, jeez, uh, I, I I don't remember. My my dad was in a, a band growing up, so or when I was growing up, so there were, there would be those shows, and that was all like you know stuff dads would be playing. And, you <laughs> know, What's the deal with that band? Go, go on. No, it's, it's it's like Rolling Stones and Motown stuff, covers. and covers, all covers, and but it, it was that was that was probably one one of the earlier things, and it was you know that's. Uh, a great thing to have growing up yeah. is is uh, sort of being able to you know just a, a sign to take music kind of seriously and, and a love for it and that was probably an early one but it's so funny one of the earliest ones I can remember concerts going to in general was was Lauren Hill and Outcast opened for Ooh. them oh, that's for her and and I remember it was I must have been in like God like fifth grade or something because I had just been <laughs> I just been prescribed glasses because I couldn't see in class and so I had glasses for like a week and then my first outing was this concert and of course I forgot them and so I just remember the whole concert is literally a blur <laughs> I was like looking through like my finger because if you make a hole with your finger you can kind of like channel out the light and see clear <laughs> to see Lauren Hill on stage <laughs> you know she's doing miseducation of Lauren I'm, Hill she's I'm going, going on tour and I'm going you are yeah I'm gonna relive my fifth grade I'm not gonna bring more contact you're gonna see it for the first time though <laughs> you have no idea what Lauren Hill looks nope. like yeah exactly I'm gonna keep it that she's way she's white yeah. which is pretty cool <laughs> 
it's definitely going to be a, a a totally different experience. I imagine this time. Yes, around. probably. <laughs> um, it's it's funny though, like how you know at that moment, you know, like you know, going to that concert for the first time, like you have no other expectations, so maybe you just think they're all blurry like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. They sure. need to focus up for these things. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've drank a lot of concerts too, so it, <laughs> yeah, that's that's, I've continued the tradition. Yeah. You can only see a concert this way now. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, did you? I guess you grew up in a music household, then, right? Uh. Yeah. Well, I my my uh, my grandfather was was a, a singer. He was an opera singer. So he. Oh, wow. he so that we kind of grew up, my sister and I, with you know these stories of him traveling around the world performing. So there was that, definitely that. And then my dad was, um, w- w- it was is kind of this like singer songwriter that always that that has always done it. And and he's a you know he's he's an insurance, he's a financial planner. <laughs> but uh, you know the the music is something that's but his always heart is somewhere else. It, yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, he gives music to to his financial guidance. Um, no, but that's that's always just been a, a big part of growing up. Everything from those shows to like you know Christmas and and singing Christmas carols and all that, and definitely a a, a music centered household in a lot of ways. I can say as a musician, I wish I had a little more financial planner in me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It would be a very different situation these days. Um, but, like, so did you play right from a young age then? Um, I, I I was early on was forced to, you know, piano lessons and violin kind of stuff, and I did not take to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around, I, I think, like middle school was when, uh, you know, it just takes a cooler kid to, to go like, oh, yeah, check this out. I play guitar. And I go, well, I want to do that. And then uh, that really just kicked off looking at tabs and stuff. And then I got full on into everything. So that was around probably middle school it took for me to really fully engage with it. And absolutely destroying your parents' computer with those early tab oh, sites. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we're just for some riddled, reason, riddled we're just, with Byride. Just um, the worst. Yeah. It's amazing to think that the internet is basically built on guitar websites and uh, on anarchy files. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Where did you, uh, when did you start playing in bands? You mentioned you played in bands. I was, uh, you know, I I was always in bands in probably middle school. So starting like sixth grade to eighth grade. We never got out of the phase of basements. We yeah. never really could get our shit together enough. But we sure knew how to have band drama plenty of time. Because <laughs> I, I think the issue was that there was like five of us. And we wanted to be three pieces every time. So someone would always get kicked out of a band and form a new band. And so it was this weird rotating thing. There was only two drummers that were the bassist. Everybody was in love with each other. <laughs> yeah, we all love, hate yeah. each other. So that was that, but then in high school, we I really kind of uh, linked up with you know some older kids, and we started playing um, more punk hardcore stuff. That's where we kind of um, evolved into um, was that sort of world, and and that was like again what Mike was saying of like this is let's have a lot of fun, but we're gonna try to play shows and we're gonna try to be the band of our town and eventually we'll maybe get three hundred dollars to make a to record with some guy in our basement. 
Um, so that was that was most of high school was being in uh, two or three iterations of this one band because dudes would just graduate and go off and do other things. What was the band called? It was called uh, it was called Scar the Ghost. Okay, <laughs> was our main band, <laughs> and we just wanted something some stupid, you know, because everyone was like hardcore bands were. Like, it was like burn it down, where it was like just weird stuff too like the number 12 looks like you that was I guess more grindcore sort of stuff but we were like let's just do something like we all kind of don't care about Scar the Ghost Scar the Ghost it's a pretty bad name and we we always knew it was bad too and we're all pretty cool smart guys we just couldn't do it we couldn't think of a different one it's hard to come up with a bad name I like STG I think that works oh STG the SDG crew, right. SDG. SDG crew, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that was all of high school. Did you ever record? We did. Yeah, we had some demos that ended up on Pure Volume MySpace. I think it's lost to time. Um, but uh, then college was, you know, I went to Philly. I played more acoustic guitar. Got a little bit better at it, and then I was in more of a. Me and my friend Ian had a two-piece thing that, like, once every summer we would play a show somewhere, some New Brunswick basement or something like that. And uh, then it backburnered for a while, and just last year I started another band, Phil's Pills, because I just, like, ended up having all these friends that were in bands now, and I was like, everyone just help help me, please. <laughs> And I think that's, that's just like the beautiful thing of music is like, it's always going to be there and I, you can always just pick it up, whether in a dad band later on or it's just some fun punk stuff. It's like this beautiful friend that I can go visit whenever I have an opening between animal seasons and uh, hang out for a bit. I remember you saying in one interview I was listening to or something that like making a TV show is like the worst thing ever. Uh, <laughs> I must have been having a bad day for that interview. <laughs> but I kind of feel like you know, like being in a band, you you wind up feeling that way, you know, like being in the band is like I wonder if there'll ever be a point where I'd be able to do it for for fun. <laughs> it's <laughs> not that it's not fun, but I mean, like where I'm yeah. like, oh, let's let's go. We have practice tonight. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe the being a little bit of a lifer kind of changes the view of that completely. But uh, I, I will. I'll, I, I'm going to retract my statement okay, of good. TV shows being the worst thing ever. <laughs> I'm going to say that it's a lot of work that I'm sure being in a band full time ultimately is, but it, it is uh, a cool, rewarding thing as well. Yeah, last year I I got I was fortunate enough to do a TV show that hasn't come out yet, but it was like I found it was like such a rewarding experience because you do the work in the end and there's something to show for it. When you're in a band, it feels like a lot of that work is just for naught. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. And and plus the the actual um physical toll of a band. Not yeah. only just like the performative aspect, but the moving around that's just so interesting to me what what that does to your 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 rhythm of yep. sleep and then also just the, the basis of where you are well i think it's you look at any job that requires massive amounts of travel 
And I just mm-hmm. think it, travel obviously is not very conducive to sleep, not very conducive to eating properly. Yeah. And I just think, you know, especially when you're in a band, it's just no wonder all these people in bands are so nuts. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you something? Yeah. I, I always have, whenever I, and I ask stand-up comedians this too, when you have a gig that's like at 11 o'clock at night, if I have even even dinner plans with someone at night, I kind of can't relax all day. Of course. Up until that thing. How do you do that? Do you Are you able to turn off or is it always this buzz of like, oh, I have work at 11 tonight? Yeah, like your whole day. It's funny because I did this, uh, a podcast. I was with this guy, Chris Slorak from the band Mets. And, oh, yeah. And he kind of described it perfectly. Like your whole day is build up and then come down. Like your whole day is like building up to that one hour. Yeah. You know, one hour and a half, maybe two hours if you're, you're yeah. <laughs> really having a good night. Yeah. Um, and then and then it's just trying to come down from that. Yeah. And it like it really, you know, that I think that's why. You know, and you're not doing anything but sitting in a van most of the time. You know? <laughs> yeah. And just like stewing in it. So, yeah, no, it's it's really hard to kind of, you know, I have to stop eating at about lunchtime if I'm playing at midnight or 11. Whoa, really? Why is that? Because you, you'll barf? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or, or I just wow. won't feel comfortable. Like it'll have be indigestion or something. And it's like I know a lot of people. I would say most of the singers I know. Iggy Pop, we played a show with the Stooges one time. And he actually, they get a restaurant to stay open for him because he will not eat all day of a show until after the show. That's wow. how he gets that sick bod. That's how he gets that body. Let nice me tell you. Tight. Nice and tight, dude. Nice and tight. Like a leather, like a leather baseball man. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, yeah, for sure. That's so sick. <laughs> but you no, know, it's, it's uh, yeah, definitely. You know, and that's the thing about when you, when you do a TV show. It doesn't. Doesn't fuck with your diet as much. I the, think. the only thing you get is a terrible posture. Yes, yes. <laughs> a lot of slouching, a lot of uh, a lot of laying back in couches. But it's it's creative work in general is hard, and I can definitely see, you know, especially when you pour your heart and soul into something, how that could be frustrating when you actually have to, you know, deal with the realities of it. Yeah, and you know, we've been off the air from after season two for like a year and a half now. And uh, we'll get it every now and then on Twitter if people like, fucking work on the show or like finish the show. It's like, dude, it's my, it's literally my nine to five. I, I kind of don't do anything else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that aspect gets frustrating. And of course, we just want to like share it with with the world as soon as possible but it's just the way the system works and you kind of now's a really fun time where we get to like you know work on what the poster is going to be for this season and uh edit some trailers and all that sort of stuff so this feels like the the cool reward and do cool podcasts yeah well and i was going to say now mike to go back to another fun time in your life tell me about your musical kind of endeavors did you have a band in high school? Sure, I did. I, I had, yeah. Say the name. <laughs> you got to share it. Oh, boy. Okay, so the first the first one was, um, uh, well, it's a little. It hurts. Okay. Rip the band. So the first one was The Reinforcements, and di- and there's already a band, The Reinforcements, oh, okay. so we okay. didn't know that at the time. So yeah. there was a whole legal battle <laughs> uh, for that eighth grade band. No, there, there's that. There, there's one, the first kind of, one that we really took seriously was called The Sage. Uh, we had a friend called Sage. 
and we put a the in front of it because we're thirteen year old idiots, yeah. and uh, and that was that was like uh, essentially like an early pop punk band kind of thing, mm-hmm. like catchy, um, you know, punky kind of stuff. Um, I think that's almost yeah. a hallmark of the genre too, is to like have a reference to like uh, an inside joke to a friend type thing. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, that's true. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and that that was that was fun because that was kind of the first time where like like Phil was saying, you know, we are our respective areas growing up. We kind of had little scenes going on, and Long Island at that time was definitely a hotbed for for music in general. And I'm jealous. And I mean, was so good. I mean, it, you know, it was also like kind of silly at times too, but, but we last jaw is like, who would last jaw last jaw. And then there's like, you know, all they're like taking back Sunday oh, yeah. brand yeah. new Absolutely. And, and, and all that stuff. So, um, which I was definitely into at the time. I don't want to be dismissive. Oh, I was um, head over heel. All three of them. But, things. but, uh, uh, you know, but there was also, it was just kind of everything. All, all the, there was a lot of punk stuff. There was a lot of like ska people doing ska bands and stuff. Um, and, and yeah, that was kind of the first taste of starting to like, you know, get, we put on a, out a little four track thing and that was fun. And, um, you know, we got on a compilation or two and that felt Ooh. like a big, a big win for someone who's into compilations back yeah. in the day. Um, and well, then, compilations, give oh, some names God. for, it, uh, <laughs> it, it was like, uh, <laughs> I don't even remember what it was called, but it, it was like a long Island compilation kind of thing. It'd be so funny to listen to again. But I remember there was like a kid who, who, you know, it was just some kid who like yeah. put, put his money together and like went to bands and were like, I want to put you on this thing. But we were all like, you know, back then it was like, Jesse Saffron wants us to be on his compilation. <laughs> <laughs> like it's fucking Mr. Uh, record deal, you know, yeah. but, um, but that that was that, and then and then that sort of <laughs> fizzled. We we you know we kind of I, I broke off from that band, and then uh, later had a band uh, in high school uh, called Indiana Rock, which again just I, I names just don't. Come I like to that me. name. Yeah, it's not bad. No, thanks. Cool. You hard on yourself on these names. All right, thank you. Thanks, guys. You're making me feel better. Um, and then. That was that was like a that that was more of a um, I would describe as kind of like a attempt to do more uh, like kind of emo-y math rock kind of stuff. So like I was very into like the band American Football at that time, mm-hmm. and as just as much as like Captain Jazz and stuff. So all all that that whole like Kinsella world, um, if people know that that was like my my whole shit back then. So. Um, that was kind of like an attempt to do that. Were stuff. you in a band with Gabe at all? No, I wasn't in a band with Gabe. Gabe was in a bunch of bands. Um, competing, growing competing up. We're, it, 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 <laughs> most people, like a lot of people, were in, in bands. It was kind yeah. of like if you're creative and whatever, you yeah. sort of had a band. Um, That's so funny. You said there was a lot of ska bands. It, well, ska was like, you know, I guess it was probably on its way out by that point, right? From the third revival. Yeah, it's weird because for. I think Catch-22 was a Jersey band, and they were, I remember, they kind of had a tri- trickle-down effect. I think Big D and the Kids Table. Yeah. Asbury Park, New Jersey, where when I was growing up was like super kind of gnarly still, but they had a really great festival, Surf and Skate Festival, um, that uh, I think became Bamboozle or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that. it did. 
Yeah, it, they they always that 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 sort of scene because it's kind of shorey and stuff over there had a lot of kind of Scott people at it. <laughs> Scott punk, like you know, I remember when I was a kid reading in Spin magazine a review of like uh you know one of the early Mighty Mighty Boston's record, mm-hmm. and it was describing how they were like frat boy music, and I was like. <laughs> so offended that they would describe him as such, you know, but then yeah. now as I get older, I'm like, yeah, I could see how that could have been frat boy music at one time. <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, every movie in the nineties had them playing at the frat party. Scene, Very so true. Kind of, I don't know who shot who in the foot, but somebody did. well, that was probably like all the guys that had grown up seeing them as frat kids hitting the age where they were like, you know, in, able to make decisions in Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. that's true. Right. The road to hell starts with good intentions. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. No diss on Mighty Mighty Boston's. No, I, no, I'm a big no, fan. And uh, oh, yeah. you know, that, I think ultimately that is really who my vocal style is emulating. <laughs> um, so, where did you kind of, you know, obviously both of you? Did you guys did you play in Mike when you were in university as well or college? No, um, other than n- not, not, not in a band. It, it was, I, I popped around a lot in college. I like transferred a bunch too. So I never felt really settled in college, but, um, y- other than playing, playing with friends and stuff, which I definitely did. And I definitely recorded my own music a lot. That was like oh, a, yeah, a for phase sure. of just like d- that, you know, that was almost compulsive. With the just, rise of garage band. Yeah, where you just kind of totally like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was fun. So that was the extent of it. Just kind of screaming into my computer for a while <laughs> have you ever like are, are you doing music these days again or no uh me i i mean i other than play no i'm not, I'm not in a band but i i definitely still we still get play. some rental spaces every now we and then some rental spaces. once a year we'll, we'll when we get the when we get the bite yeah yeah you guys, you guys play you guys do music together now yeah we've, we've, we've always every, yeah yeah but you know what it is it's also i think when you like you're you're doing something so creative and intensive in one avenue. It's kind of like, it's nice to have like a way to sort of break off and for Phil to go do his band and like kind of, you know, just be in his world doing that. And the same for me doing whatever I'm doing, you know, it's kind of like with animals, we're so in it all the time that, and we, it's kind of, that's, that's, that's our band. That's our our jam. And we do kind of make, songs for the show a little bit which is always pretty fun we have these really great uh uh composers this guy julian wass who's like amazing and also this guy adam wade which we worked with for a year and we didn't realize until a year in he was in Jawbox. which oh shit that's fucking awesome that bit i fucking love that out ff equals six six or whatever the name Mm -hmm. of that album is and what's the other band he was in shutter to think yeah i was gonna say that's alex from shutter to think yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's crazy. He was like coy about it too. We we one day after we found out, we're like, how do I we just hey. googled it or something? Yeah, no, yeah. he followed you me on Twitter, and then we're like, dude, this is the same guy that we've been friends with for a year working on our show. And now we're like, anytime we have to go into a booth and like do something like singing or something like that, we're like, hey, hey Adam, how, how'd that sound? You think, yeah. man? Like, how's the you, snare on that one, dude? What do you think Snappy? about that? Yeah. <laughs> He also played in uh, like another band too, right? Like, I think so. Yeah. He se- he seems to have. Uh, he was like, I guess, kind of a session dude. No, he for was a in while. the Sunday Real Estate thing with Nate, uh, the Ooh. the Jealous Sound. Oh, he was oh, in the Jealous Sound. Wow. 
Fucking A, Adam. Fucking A. Adam keeps on uh, putting those feathers in his cap. I tell you, he's he keeps, you know what? This guy is like the low-key coolest hire that you guys could have made. <laughs> I know, <laughs> dude. Yeah, this is definitely a a, a very a, a good good one to stumble upon. But that's cool that you get to kind of like, you know, a I guess work with like a legend of the genre too, making these songs now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the the the, the music connections of our show has been like super cool. We've had uh, original songs from Kervile, Ty Siegel. This season, we've got a. Originals from uh, Dinosaur Jr. Uh, Moby <laughs> made a song for us that's like this really punk. He's like a pink and he sings this, you know, he goes back to like old school Moby. So it's like super punk and kind of digital. And he's a pig like saying like, fuck you. Like, why do you that's... eat me? Oh, it's great. It's really cool. Have you heard his but... old band Vatican Commandos? No. Oh, man. They are a they were a Connecticut hardcore band. They did three seven inches. Maybe I'm forgetting something else, but they did three seven inch definitely and a couple of comp appearances, but just raging hardcore. But get Fuck this, yeah. the cover of their second seven inch was drawn by Rob Zombie. What? <laughs> yes. Amazing. That's incredible. It's insane. I just found that out a couple of weeks ago. I have that seven inch and I never knew. And then someone told me and I was like, man, you learn mind blowing, life changing information every day sometimes. That's wow. so awesome. We saw Moby. He played uh, the Echo near us, which was like super cool. Um, and it was like, it was really great. Yeah. It was a really great so show. Cool. I had a lot of fun. He, he, uh, that's, you know, he's like, he, that's where I first heard Mission to Burma is when he covered, did that cover. That's when I reached for my revolver. Um, yeah. Fuck yeah. That, that's actually one of the, one of two kind of older punk bands that we've had uh, uh, cut into mm-hmm. animals was, mm-hmm. was that Mission to Burma song. They are Normally like we, one we of the like best bands the ever. Reason. Oh, for sure. Super sick. And it's crazy how they, they kind of are like timeless. Like they're like a band that sounds like it could come out today and still be like new sounding. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, also, I did uh, just Google Adam and found out that he also played in Sweet 75, the Chris Nova Selleck band. Wow! And to bring it, we have so much more to ask him now. <laughs> I know. Jesus Christ! And also to bring it full circle, Chris Novoselic uh, played in Flipper, a band that Moby claims to have played in. That Flipper denies that he ever played in. What <laughs> <laughs> does that happen? I don't know. I I uh, I remember when uh, the American Harker comes out. Uh, and Flipper was in Toronto for the premiere of it during the Toronto Film Festival. And uh, Moby's on the screen talking about how he played in Flipper. And all you can hear the guys in the f- Flipper and the band uh, in the crowd start going, liar, liar. <laughs> and they deny that it ever happened. But Moby is insistent that it did happen. And I have to say, if there was a drug usage factor involved in blurring people's memories. I'm going to, you know, lean on the side of Moby being correct on the historical record. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you guys do get to university uh, and college, is that when you guys decide that you're going to wind up doing advertising? I kind of am fascinated by the world of advertising because my dad was an ad man. So I grew up kind of around the business. So when did you decide, you know, that's what you wanted to do? Um, I think for me, I, 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 I studied, ended up studying copywriting, Temple University in Philly, where I went, actually had like a pretty specific uh, ad 
uh, major and I knew I never wanted to do it. I wanted to be a writer um, and make, you know, fun, weird shit, which is what I ended up doing. But I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't want to fully commit to it. I guess I was scared. So I found that happy medium of like a business kind of writer. Um, So that's how I got into it. And then I had some weird jobs and uh, ended up at this small boutique agency that um, Mike and I worked at. Um, Mike, you were were just a video editor doing stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to to film school for a year and then left that and got some vague communications degree. And then um, basically my, my whole college experience was just waiting to graduate to then move to... Brooklyn where all my kind of you know all the all the stuff was happening it seemed like so yeah. and I just wanted to get there and and uh make make movies and make weird little tv experiments and stuff so that's what I I was waiting to do the whole time and then finally got there and then did that so one of the fun things um uh, d- uh while while living in Brooklyn there was um, this this like monthly kind of variety show thing, which was just putting together uh, everybody who I knew in bands and stuff, and and creating an outlet to to kind of put comedy first, and and for people to show short films and stuff and all that, and um, that became kind of like <laughs> what I was doing in Brooklyn, and and that was just a great way to like force yourself to create. So anyway, long story short, the reason. Um, from there that kind of expanded into then I, I ended up doing music videos, um, for a handful of friends bands. And then I had a friend who worked on one of those. He worked at this place, uh, where Phil ended up working and, uh, he, he was editing there and I was like, Oh, you can edit at this place and they'll pay you money. And, um, <laughs> so I, I, I went in there and I'm a pretty good editor and I got a job and that turned into, three years there or something probably two two probably years two something like that something like that um i will say that that time so mike mike and i met at this mall ad agency i don't know six seven years ago now um and uh that was like my kind of resurgence i always kind of wax and wing with how punk i am i guess but it was we're all on a spectrum yeah we're all no, on a spectrum, no, absolutely. On a spectrum. And uh, it was, we both lived in this one part of Bushwick where right right between our apartments was Shea Stadium, the, mm-hmm. the venue from the Titus Andronicus guys. And that was like, I would go to shows three times a week, whether it was Shea Stadium or Death by Audio or, or 285 Kent when that was, that was around. Um, that was like, that's all I did was, was see shows because I didn't have that many friends in New York at the time. So I would just like, fly solo to uh shit tons of shows it's um, so weird because it's like such a weird time when you walk around brooklyn waterfront now to think about but there was just so much stuff like you mentioned the variety show mike or phil the stuff you're talking about now with those venues it was just like such a cool place for youth culture like you know about 10 years ago now yeah for sure and i, th- I think we were both on the tail end of it but it was sure. definitely i saw I, i'm glad i got what i got out of it which was Literally every night, you know, whatever listing I was, I think Oh My Rockness maybe at the, at the time of, you could see like, I love that band and I love that band. Now I have to choose which one I want to see tonight. Show, show paper. Remember yeah. show paper? Rest in peace. 
It's funny. New York is like, you know, one of those places where there's so much happening at all times. Like, and it's been like that obviously forever and it's, it's mm-hmm. got such a reputation, but like, yeah, like it's amazing how many kind of cur- concurrent scenes are going on at any given time in that city. Yeah. It's, it's totally wild. I mean, it was, it's definitely that time where, and we're also starting animals too. So it was like this real cool, aggressive, nonstop, fun, creative time. It felt really, really fun. What was like the influence on like you guys starting animals as far as like, you know, I know the story you guys have about seeing the pigeons and you guys are riffing on the pigeons, <laughs> yeah. but as far as like the graphic, like, is it Plimpton or like, uh, or like, what's the kind of like graphic kind of influence on, on doing animation oh, for you guys? Funny. Uh, uh, I think it's, um, you know what, man, it stemmed out of my, uh, inability to draw and make stuff and also, just kind of learning these programs. So the character design stemmed from Illustrator, which is more of a vector-based program. That's why they're kind of like, in those initial shorts, they look, I don't know, almost like graphic-y. You know, the lines are a little bit thicker. There's arguably too much lines on them. Um, and it's just, they're, I, I created them to be like still images with low amount of movement. Uh so it was just this weird, and the backgrounds were photo real that I stepped on through uh, Photoshop filters because I didn't want to draw backgrounds, to be honest <laughs> with you. It was all like working in these, in these little funnels that kind of um, cranked it out to be, to be a certain sort of look. But I, I guess graphic novels, I think, is a big influence uh, visually on our show. Just, just, just having it have a certain feeling to it was important to us early on and nasty have it look look a little ugly it definitely has that kind of hand-drawn graphic novel like watercolor feel to it yeah for sure and i think that was uh yeah we wanted uh just i mean i think we were used the the theme song for our first season is this amazing song by the men called animal and I think we were using that even in our shorts. We we didn't tell them, but uh, <laughs> just just that idea of like this is our theme song. It's punky. It's mean, and that's kind of what our show is. It's it's dark, weird, little funny animal stories. And that I guess speaks also like they would have been a band that you would have been. You know that that's a hundred percent the time you're talking about. They were the yeah. band. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember Mike saw them once, and it was a beautiful review where it was like. It was good, but it also felt like an exercise in noise. And I <laughs> I thought, said yeah, I thought that was about the, the men. Yeah, I thought it was a, a very beautiful sentence stuck in my head. You know, and I, I don't think they'd be offended by that at all. Like, I think they'd be ah, like, yeah, "That's what we're doing." They're very good. They're They remind me of our show where they just like fucking change it up change. From, from thing to thing. Every album seems to be totally different in a lot of ways, and that's that's what we try to do with each season. Yeah. Yeah, is that like a conscious thing? I guess every time you're going in there, you, you view it as a clean slate. To a degree, um, yeah. To to a degree, you know, we we want to keep the bones the same, but we want the show to grow. And and luckily, it's Mike and I have global rules for it. We definitely, you know, we've been inside of the world since the beginning of the shorts for about six point five years now. So it's very much so in our DNA. And we're the only writers on it, so we really kind of know what K 
can fly and what can't, and a lot of it's not um, written in stone. So we we do want to have the show. I think season three is definitely the biggest departure mm-hmm. of the previous two, but it's still housed in the same little mm-hmm. animals verse. It's really just keeping it exciting for us, I think. And and I think we from the beginning we've always used our internal compass of of exactly those rules Phil was saying, and you know it's never been something to be too consciously uh, taken into account. We just sort of know it uh, when it's right and know it when it's wrong. And I think when we go into each season writing it, it's really just about making it feel exciting and fun to us, you know? And, and so we, we really try to stick to that and trust that. And and this third season is, um, we're, we're excited about it because we, we sort of try a lot of, a lot of new things format-wise and story-wise that are... Uh, you know, I, I I think make the show better in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we're we're excited. We to figured it out. It took twenty years. We figured episodes. it out. We got it. We finally did it. Well, I think you guys had it figured out from the first season, but I'm like one of those from the demo on guys. Ah, yeah, you're a completionist. I like that. Me yeah, too. that's what I do. I go the whole way with the discographies when I go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, is that like, what's the influence to do that for you guys? Is that like, because you know, you don't see that a lot in American television. I can see it more in British television. Um. You know, but that that idea that you can kind of play with the format of your show and then it's not set in stone. I think the idea of it, probably that it came from little tiny shorts and then Mike and I made a 15 minute short and then we made these two 22 minute shorts independently of HBO. I think that sort of growing period of the project of animals showed us that it's not just... I think we would feel different if we started with that pilot episode of, okay, it's an A story, there's a B sketch, a C sketch, and then an overarching human story. We might be locked down a little bit more, but I think realizing that it isn't, it was an evolution to get there and the whole thing should be an evolution um, played a part in it. But also each of the episodes are pretty distinct from each other. So inherently it has a, a sort of a little bit of an episodic, feel to it so we kind of do create new little worlds with every episode and that sort of uh i don't know let us feel a little bit more free or a little bit loosey-goosey what was bill callahan like to work with (laughs) he was great he was um he was he was he was he was quiet i can imagine he was uh uh, uh, quite very nice, and um, and <laughs> it, it was great. Just I mean, dulcet tones. He's just the, when, the way he's just yeah. yeah. Just the, when that sound comes out of his mouth, you just sort of want to preserve it and just you know treat treat him uh, treat him with with <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> but he's, he, he he was amazing, and, and it was so funny. There was something I'm trying to remember exactly, but at the end of the session, he kind of like. He's like the whole time he was very kind of like, you know, obviously monotone and, and sort of uh, straight faced. And then at the end, after the thing was done, he kind of smiled. <laughs> like, we did it. It was good. He kept Bill Callahan had a good time on our show. I tell you, those, those, those tough nuts, when you, when you get them to crack, it feels really, really nice. Yes. We well, had, uh, that leads to the toughest nut I've ever had to try and crack on the air, which is the homie Jay Maskus. How was oh, that? <laughs> We've, uh, you know, I heard, I, I heard him on uh, WTF too, and it seemed, uh, yeah, I, I don't. We, <laughs> we've only been an email with him, and we made it. I kind of purposely made it very. We made it where it was like 
here's some lines you can say if Color you want. <laughs> and uh, here's a song that maybe you could write about it. Uh, so it was very cool. He also got Lou to say some lines too, yeah. which is really funny. I guess he was like, I don't want to say we're Dinosaur Jr. So <laughs> <laughs> and that. Lou knocked it out of the park. We're <laughs> Dinosaur Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like sometimes, sometimes you need you need a, a Lou to do a J job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Um, it's funny because like that is you know he and I like we've toured together a lot and like played a lot of shows together, but. When as soon as you hit the record button with that guy, something changes and he just becomes wow. one of the hardest nuts to crack I've ever had to deal with. This podcast oh, wow. with him, the episode I did with him, is one of the most awkward. Oh, oh boy! Now I gotta listen to it. Yeah, completionist oof. dude, gotta get in there. Oof, oof. Um. Also, did you uh did you work with RuPaul when or was that over like uh like distance lines type thing as well? Oh no, that was RuPaul was in our uh, live action episode, so we uh, very closely uh, wor- worked with uh, Ru, and it was uh, like a four day shoot, something mm-hmm. like that. So it was super fun. Last season was was mm-hmm. that shoot. Well, I got to ask you: Did you talk punk with RuPaul by any chance? No. Should we have? We talked a little bit about like New York City, like kind of in in that time that is so. Uh, you know, seems so iconic during that, but not directly about punk. There's a, a clip that you can see online. If you Google RuPaul, David Cross, and it's RuPaul and David Cross in the basement of a Atlanta venue. Damn. I know. It's one of my, one of my dreams is to finally one day meet RuPaul and talk punk rock. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to <laughs> think, especially early New York, like that late seventies, eighties was probably, Damn, probably caught a lot of stuff. There's yeah. a cool. There's a bunch of cool RuPaul records too, like Ooh, right. like there's one called Sex Machine from '83, I believe. Cool. A RuPaul in the U-Hauls is the name of the band, and it's <laughs> it's like very like obviously true to RuPaul, but at the same yeah. time very new wave kind of cool punky sound as well. Nice. I gotta check that out. It's on my want list as well. Gentlemen, I have kept you for a long time, and one day I would love to do this again with you guys in person. For sure, yeah, dude. Man. That'd be a lot of fun. We gotta link up. And before we go, I want to tell you the reason why uh, we uh, knew that we wanted to come on this. When we're we're fine doing the final final touches of our season finale of season three, and uh, you know, so just mixing it all. We have a mix next week, and we're sitting through it and watching it a million times. And the final song of season three is a little track called. Active patrons by the band Fucked Up. That so is awesome. That's incredible. It's it, it just, you know, we, we we take a lot of care with that final season, you know, season finale thing. Uh, what was season one? The end of it. Uh, thank you. Uh, oh, yeah. It was uh, Big Star. Big Star. Big Star. Oh, friends. And then it was uh, <laughs> Final Transmission by, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, anyway. Final transmission, and now this season, uh, dude, it just we just it needed that like extra thing, kick to and you it. know, and that song too. I have to say, we've been trying to like find the right place for it, in, in so many episodes too, because it's such a good like, it's such got such a cinematic build to it, and it's so satisfying. And we've been trying to find the right place for it, and then 
this moment at the end of the season came up that's just really intense, the way season three ends. And we were like, man, what are we going to use to go into the credits? And then plop that one in and it fit like a glove. That is amazing. And that shows you, like you guys were saying earlier, I wanted to say when you said, you, you know, you've tried to play music together and it just, it's so hard because Animals is your great love affair uh, creatively with each other. Yeah. Um, like the same way Mike and I from fucked up have tried to do a million other things together uh, and have failed at it because we can only do fucked up together. So this is actually the first time hearing of it. Cause that's how little Mike and I communicate. And that <laughs> is amazing to get to hear. I am blown away. Thank you guys. That is awesome. Oh yeah, dude. And I'm pretty sure it's slow version, which I got to ask you about the, the half time, the halftime drums right. on it. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure it's slow version. Yeah. It ended up fitting a little yeah. bit. I I think it can kind of be explained by that's when fucked up discovered cannabis and psychedelic drugs. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. Makes sense. Yeah. It, it definitely is like, you know, when the, when the anger gives way to psychedelic experimentation, that's when the edge is broken. <laughs> yeah. uh, guys, thank you again for coming on the show. Oh, Dude, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Phil, and thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. And they will be back at some point to do a part two. We'll we'll get to some other hilarity. And what an honor to be featured on that show and to be among that great list of people that have been involved in that thing. You know, like it's really a star-studded kind of list, and I'm honored to have our song kind of be there as well. So thank you guys so much for that. Um and Animals is on Fridays at 11.30, or check your local time. I think it varies depending on where you are, but Friday's on HBO, and uh, that's that's it. Um, next week on the show, Shauna Potter of the band War on Women. I've wanted her to come on the show for a long time. And finally, thanks to Tristan uh, reaching out and, and kind of like making it happen. I was just hoping it would happen by happenstance. But my Tristan Abraham, show producer, guest uh, booker extraordinaire, reached out and made it happen. And boy, was it worth it. This is a really fun conversation. Um, I think, you know, legit, she's one of the best front people in the game. You're going to want to hear this one next week. And we've got some other great stuff coming up. This is this show, my gosh, between Tristan helping me book stuff and, and you know, um, it, everything kind of being a little more stable travel-wise, you know, focusing on stuff. We've got a lot of people coming up. We've got some good ones, even some part twos. Some legit part twos are in the works. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening. Go out there and make your own culture, and I will see you Next week, bye. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters. 
Because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.